We're beginning this message in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthian church. They are a church that has been on rocky ground. And as he begins to write this second epistle to the Corinthian church, one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible is in verse number 20. He talks about the promises of God. And most of the time when, when, when people begin to talk about the promises of God, a lot of times when we're going through hard times, those promises seem so far away. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like the promises that God has in the Bible are sometimes so far out of your... I want to tell you, there, you know, many times throughout the Bible, throughout the Word of God, godly people got in situations where the promises of God seemed outside their grasp. What do you think Joseph felt like when his father had made him the coat of many colors to signify his love for him against all his brethren. And then God gave him dreams that all his brethren were going to bow down to him. What do you think it felt like when his brethren, they didn't bow down to him, they sold him into slavery. As he was going down into Egypt as a slave, sold by his family, it's about as low a blow as you can get. I believe that there was a test for Joseph. Well, what kind of test, Pastor? Everything went wrong. Kind of reminds you of a lot of the way people believe today. People believe everything's going wrong. God's still working. God is still at work. So long as the Holy Ghost is in the world today, he's still leading people to salvation he is still saving people. He is still sending down the power of the Spirit to enable and empower the church to be a witness and a testimony to a lost and dying world. In other words, the Holy Spirit is still putting salt on folks. Now, if we're not salty, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. Come on. Jesus told the church to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That promise is still in effect. We're still in the dispensation of grace. We're still in the church age. And that promise is still true. And the problem is we won't tarry before God getting filled with God. We get filled with everything else under the sun. You want to ask us how many flavors there are at Baskin Robbins? We'll tell you. But we won't tell you about the time we got filled with the power of God last week. Amen? I want you to know that God, his, he's not retired on giving testimonies. The world, the world may look like it's falling apart, but it's still in his hands. Do you remember that song when you were a kid? He's got the whole world in his hands. Do you remember that? It may look like it's falling apart, but he is upholding it by his very word. His very word is keeping this world from falling apart. I want you to know that this morning. His promises are sure no matter what things look like. In verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Apostle Paul said here, For all the promises of God are in him, that's in Jesus, are yes and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now, a lot of people, they just begin to stop right there, and I want you to see there's something important in this passage. The promises of God are in Jesus. Every promise of God comes to Jesus. If anybody preaches any message and that doesn't bring you to Jesus, it may not be the right message for you. 
There is another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit according to Paul in Galatians chapter 1. You have to be wary of that. Now, all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus. The question is, are you in Christ Jesus? Because if you're in Christ Jesus, those promises are accessible, even though they may not look like it. The promises of God. Now, watch this. It says, now he which establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. That is the witness. That is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. The church is supposed to have that. The, the earnest of the, the Spirit, that is that down, that down payment, the presence of God in you. In other words, you don't have to go to Jerusalem to get God. In other words, you don't have to go to the Catholic priest, or you don't have to go to me. You don't have to go to any. You have a direct line to God through Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God is there to show that, to give you that down payment of God's promise that he is with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's with you? What if, what if our nation falls? Is God still with you? What if you become destitute and on the street? Is God still with you? What if your health fails? Is God still with you? You know, a lot of times we, we think in extreme terms, but you got to think back about the life of somebody like the Apostle Paul. He was one of the greatest uh, apostles that God had. He was caught up to the third heaven and didn't write a book or a DVD about it. He was a true man of God, and yet he had a thorn in the flesh. Now, you don't know, and I don't know what the thorn is. People have lectures about that. We're not here to have a lecture about that. The point is that God allowed something in his life to bother him. And what it did is it kept him humble, and it kept him to the point where he depended on God every moment of every day. You know why things aren't perfect? Because we still are in a fallen world. If you had your favorite political party in power right now, it wouldn't matter. Because until Jesus comes back, we're still going to be suffering. We're still going to be uh, dying. We're still going to be going through trials and tribulations and anguish and heartache and heartbreak until Jesus comes back. Once Jesus comes back, he'll begin to establish a new reign on this earth. Eventually, we will have a new heaven and a new earth. But our hope is not in the people of this world. Our hope is not in the money of this world. Our hope is not in the homes of this world. Our hope is not in the things of this world. Come on. Our hope cannot rest in the things that are corruptible. So what if you had a million dollars? It's corruptible. If you had a house, guess what? Lizards are going to come in there. I, the things of this life are fleeting. They're corruptible, but Christ is eternal. Amen. And we're supposed to have our hope set upon him because our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. We are first and foremost citizens of heaven, more than citizens of any nation on this earth. The nations of this earth will bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
every tribe, every tongue, every nationality, every knee will bow down to the King of Kings and they will all declare Jesus is Lord. Now watch this. It, the, he gave us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. He says, moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you, I came not as yet into Corinth. That is, Paul had a, a, a mission, and anytime you get around a godly person and they, they begin to get stirred up, they may not come around you for a purpose. Because he said, I, I, was come, I, I didn't come because... You know what? He was actually being merciful by not coming. He was mad at him. But look at what he says in verse 24. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith you stand. Can I tell you something this morning? If you're going to stand, it's not going to be because you got the right apostle lording over you. It's not going to be because you watched the right DVD. If you stand, it's not going to be because you got the right worship CD this week. If you stand, it's not going to be because you watched the right Bible study this week. If you stand, it's going to be because you operate in faith. By faith, you stand. Without faith, you're going to fall. God will not force you to have faith, contrary to Calvinism. God will not force you to believe. He will not force you right now in this dispensation to come to an altar, to bow down on your knee, and to cry to God. He will not force you to fight for your family. He will not force you to cry out and claim the promises of God and stand on them and believe against all hope. One of my favorite passages says about Abraham, against hope, he had hope. It means when, when all hope was gone, he still had hope. He didn't even have a reason for hope, but he still hoped. You know why? Because a godly person will hope even when there's no reason to hope because their hope is not in the things of the world. Because when you look at the situation from a worldly perspective, you'll say, there's no reason for you to hope. There's no reason for you to have joy. There's no reason for you to sing. There's no reason for you to be excited about God. Look at you. Look at your life. Look at your nation. Look at your family. Look at your circumstance. And all you got to say is, yeah, but look at my God. When you choose to look at God rather than the circumstance, you'll begin to operate in this thing that, that Paul's talking about right here. By faith, you stand. I want you to know this morning that nobody, nobody can do that for you. You have to get to the place where you, by faith, stand. You have to take that upon yourself and say, I'm going into the Holy of Holies. I'm getting alone with God and I'm getting things right. I'm getting these issues dealt with. I'm praying them through. The burden of these issues is too much for me. I'm taking them into the Holy of Holies. I'm laying them down at his feet and I am going to get peace over the situation. By faith, you'll stand. Without faith, you'll fall. Do you know that strength in God comes from altars, not appearances? You can have the best appearance in the world, 
But unless you are familiar with the altar of God, you will have no strength. I would rather have a, a, a church that cries and slobbers and snots everywhere than a church that has all the pretty lights in the show. I don't want lights, camera, action. I want the power of God. It is the altar of God where you'll find strength. If you're not familiar with the altar of God, then you're not familiar with God's strength. It is by faith that you stand. The old saying, he said that, that, that on that altar, he said, he said with, when the altar's empty, no fire comes down. A lot of times we wonder why there's no power in the church because we're not presenting anything at the altar for God to put his fire on. When the altar is empty, no fire will fall. But once we begin to go to that altar again and present ourselves to God again, God will begin to rain down upon us that Holy Ghost fire where we'll be able to stand when the world is coming against us. And I'm telling you, the world is going to come against you. If you, if you dare to stand for Jesus, the world's coming for you. And if you're going to stand on anything other than faith, you're not going to make it. You have to get to this place where it is by faith that you stand. So strength comes from altars, not appearances. Let me ask you something. You either believe that God still saves souls, that he still changes lives, that he still empowers with the Holy Ghost to people that come to the altar, or you don't. How many, how many in the church world don't believe in altars anymore? How many in the church world don't believe? And I'm not just talking about on church on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm talking about in your life. I'm talking about on Monday morning. Getting in the altar of your home. Well, I don't have an altar. Well, kneel down at your couch. Kneel down by your bed. Consecrate it to God. Just say, God, I'm, I, this territory right here by my bed, I'm putting my knees on it. I'm consecrating it to you. This is our meeting place. Maybe it's a place in your backyard. But if we don't have those places where we give all of ourselves to God, we will never find this strength that Paul's talking about here. Do you believe that God still changes lives when people come and believe? Do you still believe that? Or does it only happen in good times? You know, a lot of people think that things only happen in good times. You know what I call that? I call that firework faith. Another word for it would be a sugar high faith. Now, you know what a sugar high is if you have kids or grandkids. A, a, a sugar high is, is when everything's great. You, you just keep eating the candy, the good stuff. But eventually, eventually, the sugar wears off and the crash comes. You know, a lot of people in the church world, they live off a of sugar high. David and Goliath. David and Goliath is a sugar high. Oh, yes, the giant's going to fall. But do you know that David often exerted the most fate in situations none of us would want to be in? I know almost everybody would want to be the one that slays the Goliath. But how many people want to stand in faith while they're hiding in the cave of Adullam? How many people want to stand in faith while you're running for your life from King Saul? Do you know that David had the opportunity to take Saul's life? 
But because he held on to God's promise, he didn't take the matter in his own hand. He could have, but he rather had held on to God's promise and have that access and have that blessing in God's time, not his own. Yes, you can, you can do things yourself and speed things up, but it won't be from God. It is by faith that we stand, and without faith we fall. There are definitely, time, definitely times where firework faith is present. Like I said, David and Goliath. When you see the 5,000 fed with a few fish, everybody got excited. Do you know that many people followed Jesus because they thought they were going to get another meal? Did you know that? You should read John 6. Many people followed Jesus because they thought they were going to get another meal. And Jesus called them out. And the more he began to preach, look, if he would have just kept feeding them, all would have been well. The crowd would have stayed the same. But the longer Jesus preached, the more people turned away. And you go, it's one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. You go down to John chapter 6, verse 66. You go all the way down. It said, many walked away. Many, and it says many of his people, many of his disciples, his believers, walked away. The longer he preached, the more that line got laid. There was a line in the sand. And many people, when, when you're feeding or when you're blessing, when you're healing and these miraculous things are going on, many people will desire that. But God works in valleys as much as he does in mountaintops. It's not just cliché. There are as many promises of God in the valley as there are on the mountaintop. Everybody wants to promise so that life is grand. But the greatest promise is God himself. When you look back over your life, one of the most impressive things about God's promises were not the high points. When you look back over your life, you will look to the valleys and you'll see God never left you. When you look back over your life, you'll see God brought you through a situation you didn't think you could make it through. The mountaintops are great. When you can pay all your bills and you still got money left over or when nobody's been sick for a year or everything's great, you, you in a good mood, everybody's happy. Those are awesome. But the true test of faithfulness, when you look back over your life, you'll see when you were at the bottom, God was at the bottom with you. That if God hadn't been with you, you wouldn't have made it. That God opened doors when the world shut on you. When men quit on you. When the world shut every door for you, God would begin to open doors and bring you into places, situations, or relationships that you don't deserve, that you didn't, that you didn't even ask for, but God did. God does exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. Do you believe that? He does. The times of firework faith are fun, but there's often times that we need to remember faith is still a fight. If, if, every, if everything about faith was just fun and exciting and beautiful and fireworks, 
then we wouldn't know God in the valley. But because faith is a fight, that's one of the things that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, fight the good fight of faith. I thought faith was supposed to be this, you know, or I just get more cake. No, faith is a fight. He said, fight the good fight of faith. If faith is a fight, then it's worth fighting for. If faith is a fight, it's worth fighting for. If by faith you stand, then you must fight. If you want to stand. And you got to make the decision. Nobody can stand for you. Nobody can go to the altar for you. The Bible says present yourselves a living sacrifice. It doesn't say present your wife a living sacrifice. It don't say present your daddy a living sacrifice. It don't say present your children a living. It says present yourself. Bring yourself to God. Bring yourself to God. You know, one of the hardest things in life today is to let go and grab hold of God. One of the greatest one of the greatest things that you could do is to grab hold of God. Faith being a fight will oftentimes require you to walk even when you don't have all the answers. Do you remember whenever God called Abraham out of Ur? Do you, uh, I know you weren't there, but do you remember reading it? God called Abraham out of Ur, and you remember what happened? God just said, go. Go. Abraham didn't know where he was going to live. He didn't know how he was going to eat. He didn't know where he was going to get water at. He didn't know who was going to be the king or the ruler of the lands that he entered into. He didn't know if people would like him or lump him. He didn't know if people were going to be for him or against him. All he knew is that God said go, and I guess he believed if God's for me, who can be against me? I guess he believed that. He followed after God's voice. He didn't have all the answers. He just knew God called him to leave that place. That's a fight. That is grabbing hold of the promise of God and not demanding to know all the answers. Isn't that what faith is? Isn't that what faith is? Is believing and, and not knowing. It's just trusting what God said is true. But do you know there's even a greater step of faith that the church must get to? I believe there's a greater step of faith that we are going to have to get to as a church. The church in America, the church in the world today, is let's not be, you know, conceited. Because there, there is a church all over the world. Oftentimes you talk to Christian people in America, and they, the only church we talk about is the one in America. There's some godly folks in the world. And they're just as godly as, or more godly than many of us. We think, oh, man, if we go through hard times, it must mean that Jesus is coming back. Do you not realize how much persecution the church is in right now? I mean, how conceited are we? We, we can't go through one hour of hard times when the, the world wide church has been facing persecution and turmoil we've been in a little umbrella counterfeit faith what is counterfeit faith it's like counterfeit money it won't work 
in hard times. Counterfeit faith will work when the church is giving out banana splits or giving out a drawing for iPads or when the music is perfect and the preaching's perfect and the people are perfect and the sanctuary's perfect and the colors are perfect. Counterfeit faith will only work on the good times. True faith will kick in when the world falls apart. True faith will kick in when the world falls apart. When, when, when the world says, everything is against you, brother. They've left you. They've abandoned you. don't have any hope. If you continue going, we're going to come after you. Faith, at that point, must be fixed, not on a temporal blessing, but upon an eternal person. At that point, you're going to have to get to the place where faith is on what it's supposed to be on. Faith cannot rest completely and entirely in promises. It must rest in the promiser. True biblical faith comes to the point where we trust God's character more than our circumstance. I believe that's what Joseph got into. When Joseph was in prison and, and, and he had been sold into slavery, I believe he was not sitting there in prison claiming the promises of God. I believe he was saying, Lord, I know you. I know what you said and I trust you. Though I cannot see how this happens, though I cannot even imagine how I can get out of this prison as a slave in a foreign land, I trust you. We have to get to the point where we trust God's character more than what we see with our natural eyes or feel with our fearful hearts. We have to get to the place, church, where we trust God. Not just what he can do, but who he is. True faith works in the valley because God's in the valley. Counterfeit faith won't work in the valley because when the times go bad, counterfeit faith checks out. Counterfeit faith will tell you you were a fool for trusting God in the first place. Look at you now. Isn't this what Job's wife said? You trusted God. Just curse him and die. There will come days when people will tell you to curse God and die. Look, when, when you look at Job's faith, the one thing that he had going for him, he questioned a lot. He wondered a lot. He had some friends that tried to talk too much. But one thing about him is he knew God's character. He did not curse God. He couldn't understand it. Have you ever been in a situation that you, were, you just said, I don't understand why I'm going through this? Come on, let's be honest. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you don't understand why you're having to go through what you're having to go through. That's okay. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to get there. But what you have to do is get to the place where you trust God's character in that situation. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can do that for you. You're going to have to get to the place where you say, you know what, Lord, I don't need the fireworks. I need your presence. I'm in a valley. Fireworks don't work in the valley. You ever tried to shoot fireworks in the valley? They, they don't. They go up high. You stuck in the valley. You need God's presence in the valley. You need God in your situation. 
and God will be in your situation. When worldly blessings begin to cease, when worldly blessings begin to cease, when I call them worldly blessings because most of the time in our church world today, if you call something a blessing, it's just more worldly stuff. I got a boat, what a blessing. I got a third house, what a blessing. Look at my brand new 2022 Cadillac, what a blessing. See, a lot of times in the church world, we have equated covetous things, worldly things as God's blessing, but God's true blessing is not in the covetous, idolatrous things, but in himself. God's true blessing is in himself. It's in his presence, it's in his deliverance, it's in his power, it's in, it's in the freedom that you have in him. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Sugar high faith. A sugar high faith will fail you when things go wrong. A sugar high faith will fail you. You'll crash. Just like somebody that eats too much candy. You'll crash. Let me show you something about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Many times we'll find ourselves in unfamiliar territory. We'll find ourselves on the floor. Faith will meet you there. Faith often finds the most godly people on the floor. When you begin to talk to people that have a prayer life, what you'll see is their knees are usually callous. You know why? They learned that old secret. Faith will find you when you get to the floor. Old callous knees. That's what saintly, you know, we, we look at the world today and, and the church world today and we think of, you know, God's generals are the ones that drive the Mercedes and the BMWs and fly in the airplanes and sell the DVDs. But I'm telling you, God's people are the ones with calluses on their knees. It don't matter what they drive. No matter what, what the appearance looks like. When I say callous on the knees, I'm just talking about an, 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 an intimate, ongoing pressing in. Giving of yourself at the altar to God. It is at those altars. Now, and let me tell you this. Most people have a testimony from 20 years ago. Most people have a testimony from 15 years ago. But do you realize that God wants you to bring a fresh offering to him every day? One of the things that the Levitical priesthood did is they brought an offering to God every day. Did you know that the, the fire, the altar, it was ongoing? The fire never was supposed to go out. The fire was never supposed to go out. Can we say that in the church world today? When we shut down our altars? When we've monopolized our worship? Can we truly say that today when we don't have time to press in? If you sing a song for more than four minutes, somebody going to get mad? This is one of the things Leonard Ravenhill, he said, he said, how can, how can you talk about all the things of the world and then just switch gears and, and then worship God for an hour and then church is over and then you just talk about all the things of the world again? He said, how, how do you do that? 
It's like driving down the road and shifting into reverse. It don't work. It don't work. You're going to mess something up. And yet we have the audacity in the church world to talk about the things of, you know, the, the things of the world to be all caught up in the things of life and all these things and then switch gears and sing holy, holy, holy. And then as soon as the song's over, we go right back talking about how horrible things are, how terrible life is, and what we're going to watch on TV on Friday night. And we wonder when we're not, we're not truly bringing an offering to God. They call it duplicity. Duplicity. You know what that is? It's an old-fashioned word for being two-faced. A lot of times in the church world, we have duplicit spirits. When the church bell sounds, straighten the tie up. When it's not church time, act like, look like, and talk like the world. God's looking for a people that will come out of that. God's looking for a people that will come out of that and will be and live a consecrated life to him all the time. I want you to know that God loves you. He loves you so much that he wants to give you the power of the spirit in order, listen, to not just have good church services. When we say the church needs the power of the Holy Ghost, we're not saying it because we want to see People do somersaults at the altars, although I wouldn't be against it. It'd be better than people falling asleep. I'd rather see somersaults going on. However, however, even if people are doing somersaults, that's not what God's talking about. When he talks about Terry until you be endued with power from on high, he's talking about being a holy witness in an unholy world. The context that Jesus was talking to the disciples about was about bringing the testimony that he is alive and that he is Lord to this world. To take it to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, the uttermost parts of the world, you're supposed to go all the way. And the only way that you're going to be able to be a living witness in this world is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastor, you're being kind of rough this morning. We're talking about faith that you stand on. If you want comfortable faith that you'll fall on, that's fine. But faith that stands is going to be a faith that you press in for. A faith that stands is going to be a faith that you press in for. See, the pressing in is when you let go of worldly things, you let go of, a, of, of affections, you let go of con concepts, you let go of all the things of this life, and you pursue after God. Look at this in, in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Well, let's, let's read verse 5 just to get that context. It says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. That was a rapture, right? For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He pleased God. Then we should wonder if Enoch got raptured, and Enoch is a picture of the church, and the testimony is that he pleased God, could we honestly say that the church pleases God today? 
If the church honestly consists of firework faith, sugar high faith, the faith that only is in the good times, then I don't believe that we could honestly say that we please him. Look at this next verse. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, it doesn't say sugar high faith. It doesn't say any. It's just faith. Without faith. Can I interject something? Faith in the good times and faith in the bad times. See, without that, without faith in the valley, as well as the mountaintop, it's impossible to please him. Without faith in the darkness, as well as in the light, it's impossible to please him. Without faith when I'm sick, as well as when I'm healthy, it is impossible to please him. Without faith when things are going my way, as well as when they're not going my way, it is impossible to please him. God's not looking for us to have a great intellect. He's not looking for us to have book reports on Sunday morning. He's not up here asking us to write essays. He's looking for a people that will believe. He didn't ask Abraham to write an essay. He didn't ask Noah to write an essay. He didn't call up Enoch and say, give me your book report and I'll rapture you out of there. He's looking for people to believe. God doesn't change. Don't give me that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always has been looking, his eye brooding over this world, going to and fro, looking for someone to believe him. Well, I believe for a car. I believe for a new house. I believe. I'm believing for a spouse, brother. I'm believing that God's going to open a door so I can get married. I believe for that. He's not asking you to do that. He's asking you to trust him. Abraham was promised a seed. And it didn't come right away. He had to trust God. Did he not? After two years, four years, ten years, 15 years, he's sitting there believing God still. Why? After a year, would you still believe God? Not if you had firework faith. Not if you had sugar high faith. If God didn't come through in six months, most people would walk away. If you were fixed on the mountaintop, what God can give me, give me, give me. What what candy he has for me today. If you're fixed on that, six months of waiting, you ain't going to hold out. But if your faith is centered and fixed on God himself, on the character of the God who loves you, then it doesn't matter when the promise comes because you've already got the promiser every day of your life. In the mountain and in the valley, in the darkness and in the light, God is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will not leave. The promise may not be here yet, but the promiser is. Is that not good enough for us? 
The promise may not be here yet, but if the promiser is here, it's coming. I don't know when. That's not my department. I don't put God on a, on a clock. God is a beggar to no man. He's God. And when it comes to the promises, look at this next part. It says that we, we must first, look, it says it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. That he is. That he is what? That he's what, church? That he is. That he's there. That he's God. Do you know that God is with you? If you're a child of God, he lives in you. What do you mean God lives in me? Christ in you is the hope of glory. Don't get all staunch and denominational. I mean, there's a living Christ in you. The hope of glory is Jesus in you. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit bubbling up inside you, you have to get back to that place of consecration and dedication until the fire begins to flow in your life again. But the promise is himself. You must believe not what he can give you, but who he is. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Do you believe that he is? Do you believe that he is, that he's with you, that he's for you, that he's present? A lot of times you talk to people, oh, where is God? You should say, well, where is God not? He's omnipresent. Last time I read the Bible, there's no mountain that he can't scale, no valley he's not in. There's no dark corner of the earth that he's not present in. There's no life that he's not working in. There's no situation that is outside the grasp of a cry out to God. Here, God is. This is what the church must get to. Believing that God is. And it says, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you know what the true reward is? Him. Abraham learned that. Abraham learned that the true blessing was, was God Almighty. Noah learned that. Moses learned that. Do you know that one of the most, the most beautiful passages of the Bible, Moses is leading God's people. He's in the desert, and he's, you know, he's got some fickle people on his hands. And Moses is crying out to God, and he He's asking God for help. And God says, my presence will go with you. Last time, you, you, you were in a, a crisis. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And God says, well, I'm with you. Well, yeah, Lord, but I need, I need this. But I, I need some money to pay this bill. And I, I, I need, you know, I, I really need help in this area. Yeah, but I'll be with you. My presence is there. Yes, I understand, Lord, but I got to pay Swepco. But I'm with you. But I got to pay Swepco. 
but I'm with you. You see, a lot of times we get fixed on how instead of who. Don't get lost in how. Get fixed on who your God is. Get fixed on who your God is. This is, this. you know, Paul wrote to the church, he said, by faith you stand. Not faith in you dictating to God how he's going to rescue you, how he's going to come through in the, in the midnight hour. No, don't be doing that. Don't be doing that because you're going to get out in left field and you're going to go out and, and, and wander in a, in a field that you don't belong in. God's called you to be like he says right here in Hebrews eleven six. believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder. When God shows up, he's bringing all the power of heaven with him. Do you believe that he is? See, there's a difference between excitement and faith. Excitement is when all the stuff's going on. Faith and excitement are two different things. Faith and excitement are two different things. Excitement will run on the sugar high. Faith will run in the valley. Excitement will run on the sugar high. <clears throat> See, whenever you, whenever you begin to do things for the Lord and you get a lot of people thanking you, that's a sugar high. Because if you work for the Lord long enough, there's going to come a time where you've got to walk through a, a season where nobody loves you or appreciates you. Because God's going to try you. God's going to try you. Nobody has said hi to me today, Lord. Nobody loves me today. Nobody told me thank you. Nobody told me great job. Yeah, but you got to do what you do for God. Do it under the Lord and do it for the Lord. Do it to please God and not men. And what you'll find is that God will strengthen you in those hard times in ways when you look back, you're not going to say, boy, God was really with me when everything was going great on that mountaintop. You're not going to say, oh, God was really with me when, when life was perfect. I mean, I, I, I needed God like crazy, and he was with me in that perfect. No, it's, it's when you look back and you see, wow, that was a valley. Whoa, look at that pitfall. And God held me. God got me through that situation. In and of myself, I would have quit. In and of myself, I would have gotten mad, given up, thrown my hat against the wall, threw off my shoes, threw a temper tantrum like a kid, and cried. But God held me. See, when you look back and, and you've trusted that he is, you've trusted in his character, you've held on to who God is, You've held on to the promiser more than the promised blessings, quote unquote. You'll find God got you through the valleys. You'll find that God got you through the valleys. Let me show you something in the book of Matthew 6. I want you to see something. As we read through the scripture, I want you to see something. I want you to see this. There are people that are around Jesus that he calls, O ye of little faith. Little faith. What does that mean, Lord? O ye of little faith. Well, we don't really have to diagnose what exactly it is, but I will tell you what it does. 
Little faith thinks that God deserts them in times of affliction. Little faith may not verbalize it, but it definitely acts like it. Little faith acts like the, 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 the chicken that thinks the sky is falling. That's what little faith does. And you may not verbalize, God has left me. God is not working in my life. This situation is greater than God. You may not verbalize those things, but a person of little faith will act those things out. I want you to see something. There comes a point. There comes a point where you have to trust in who God is. Not in the situation of what's going on. When you look at things going on in the world today, you have to look at it just like we sang and say, you know what? Our God reigns. I'm trusting who he is. There may not be a specific promise that you, that you see, but you know who God is, and you know his character, and you can hold on to his character even when you don't have anything else to hold on to. Because there's situations that you may get in that are unfamiliar. Jesus said there's going to be a time when they, they bring you out of, this, out of the synagogues and out of the buildings, and they 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 persecute you and they'll even kill you he said don't don't worry don't prepare what you're going to say beforehand just wait and the holy spirit will speak through you he'll give you the word on that day well i don't believe in the holy spirit well that's your problem you must believe that he is and watch this there's situations that we all get into that maybe are a little bit unfamiliar. Uh, listen to this. What about Paul? I t- talked about the thorn in his flesh, the thorn in his side. You remember that? Where is any precedent in the Bible for that? This apostle of God got in a situation that he, w- he, he probably didn't see anywhere else in Scripture. What are you going to do? I'm going to trust in who God is in this situation. There there is no point of reference. But there is a God to refer to. Something greater is who God is. His character. Do you know who God is? His character? See, look at this. In, In Matthew 6, let's start with verse 28. It says, why take you thought for the raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore of God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven. Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? What were they worried about? They were worried about their worldly lifestyle, right? They were worried about their worldly lifestyle. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things, 
do the Gentiles seek? For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now watch this verse. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Hold on. I want you to really listen. How many of y'all are worried about what's going to happen tomorrow? With your bills, with your health, with the nation. What about with your kids' lives? Right? Does he say to take thought on some things for tomorrow? Because at some point we have to release tomorrow to a God that we can trust. At some point we have to say, you know what? I trust you, Lord, who you are. I believe who you are. You are who you say you are. We must first believe that he is. Is he there? Is he available? Is he still working today? Is he still the same God that he was for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Is he still the same God that got Noah through the flood? Is he still the same God that was in the beginning and that is in the present and is going to be in the future? Is he still the same? Is he in our tomorrow? Is he good? Is he already in our tomorrow? Is he outside of time? Is he already in our tomorrow? Yes. Is he good? Yes. Is he a deliverer today? Yes. Is he going to be a deliverer tomorrow? Yes. Is he a healer today? Yes. Is he going to be a healer tomorrow? Yes. Is he a provider today? Yes. Is he going to be a provider tomorrow? Yes. Is he for us today? Yes. Is he going to be for us tomorrow? Yes. He, look, all the promises of God are in him. Yes and amen. Hallelujah. He says, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take the thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, learn to trust God in the now. Learn to trust God in the now. Well, who's going to be president? Trust God right now. It won't matter who the president is if God is on the throne. It won't matter if they pack the court if God's still the judge of the earth. It won't matter if they put you in prison if he still sets the prisoners free. Who opened the prison door to set Peter free? Was it a politician or was it God Almighty? Who is it that brought Joseph out of the dungeon? Was it God or was it a politician? It was God? Come on. Whatever the situation is tomorrow, we know God still works tomorrow. God's not going to quit because we give up. Many in the church world have done given up because they got so fixed on temporal things. God is not in that. God is working. Look, many of us might have given up on God, but I promise you there's people that are going to be around tomorrow if the Lord tarries that need to trust God. 
Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I want you to hear this. Often God is calling you to a deeper walk. Often God is calling you to a deeper walk. He called Samuel. Samuel. You remember that? He woke Samuel up. Why? Because he was taking Samuel to a place of consecration. I'm going to use you, son. God calls his people to himself. God's calling you to a place of consecration to him. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what evil will come. But we know what's going to overcome evil. And that's our God. And we can hold his promise in that light. See, God's calling you to a place where you come out of the things of this life, the things of this world, into this deeper walk with him, not only for his promises, but for his person. Come after him for him. Come after him for him. I love you, Lord. Even if my world falls apart, God, I still love you. God's looking for that faith. He's looking for people to believe that he is. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And that'll come after him. See, O ye of little faith, that is where the, uh, many in the church world have stopped. You might have been in that place. Time to get out. Every saint of God's been called to go deeper than they've ever been. And I believe if we're going to make it through the things that are coming upon the world, we're going to have to have a deep walk with God. You want to stay in Candyland, you may not make it. Will you come after him? Will you come after him today? What is it? What is it that you need? So that you can finally say, you know what, Lord? I don't have to have anything else as long as I have you. I trust you your character, and who you are in this situation. What is it? What will it take for you to get to the point where you trust his person? His person. Many, many of the saints of God had to get into a place where they, you know, a lot of them didn't even have Bibles. I don't think Job was the earliest book. He didn't have a Bible. But he knew something of the character of God. He knew something of the character of God. Something had gotten a hold of him and he trusted God. You ever been around somebody that you can truly trust? That you can say, you know what? If brother so-and-so says he's going to do it, I know he's going to do it. Have you ever been around somebody like that? I know that that's old days, right? Well, if brother so-and-so said he's going to be here, he, gonna be, he might be a little bit late, but he's going to be here because he said he was going to. Because he's as good as his word. God's as good as his word. God's as good as his 